iBook Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 43, and our book is Darkness in the Blood by Guy Haley. The book is about the continuing adventures of Dante and Mephiston as they navigate the Imperium Nihilus. We posted several questions on our site, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't yet read Darkness in the Blood, go read the book, check out the site, and then come back to this post, as we're going to be talking about the book from start to finish in great detail. With that, let's dive in. Did you enjoy the book? Oh, you know the answer to this. Yes, I love it. I do. <laughs> I did not. And the joke that I made is that I hated it so much that I just left my copy in Arizona. My my book copy is in a hotel in Arizona. So to be fair, I actually then had to go and buy the audiobook version of it so that I could finish it. So I don't know if that made me dislike. I really did not like this book at all. I, 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 I liked it. It would have mattered if you had the audio version or not. I think you're right. I liked it better than Devastation of Ball. Oh, God. But Is that the bar? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, the bar would be I liked it better than Requiem Infernal. Um, that's the bar. <laughs> um, but I was just not a fan of this book. Sorry. Well, so what know, parts are really... So as I told you over the phone, it's like, well, if you like... Dante and Mephiston and the just the Blood Angels culture, you will love this book. If you don't, you will not. It is yes. it is that simple. And I can't even say that you would like it if you had been reading the Mephiston trilogy as well. Because I don't think you would have even liked the Mephiston trilogy to even get to this point to care. Like there was stuff when, and we'll talk more about this later, but there was stuff when he's going through his Primaris transformation where you were like, oh, like it's really explained well in his trilogy. And I was like, yeah, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. And here's here's what I'm struggling with right now, because I'm sure people are going to be like, then why are you reading the books? Because the dark, I don't like the Blood Angels. And the Blood Angels have become the guys. Like, I can't just close my eyes and not read them because Dante is the regent. He is in a lot of ways the counterpoint to Gulliman for half the Imperium. Mm -hmm. If you want to know what's going on in Nihilus, you have to keep up with Dante and Mephiston and with the Blood Angels in general. And so in the past, I used to see like Reddit posts where people were like, I hate the Ultramarines. Why is Robbie Bobby back? And I was like, "Uh, your opinion's wrong and you can stop whining. (laughs) And now I, I'm just saying I kind of sympathize with you now because I'm trying to read this and I'm like, I don't like these people. I didn't give a shit. Flying. I didn't care when my beautiful hawk boy was killed. That's right. I said it. Let's just level set, shall we? I didn't care that Sanguinius was killed. Killed. Anyways. What parts of well, this book okay, stood out to you most? I didn't care that Mortarian was killed. That Mortarian. Your other boy. <gasps> I don't remember his name. That's how little I think of him. I don't even remember his name. Please stay tuned, because I'm sure shots are going to be flying left and right in this podcast. What is his name? The Night Haunter. I just said Conrad Curse. Oh, I didn't. Sorry. I didn't hear. I obviously have some block. 
against that man. I need Frick or Skywatcher or Depp or someone to tell Carrie that I'm no longer speaking to her. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we both know that's not true. Yes, we do actually both know that's not true. Anyways, what parts of this book really stood out to you? Oh, man. Like, what? It'd be easier to ask, like, what did not? Um, like, I loved Dante's um, telling of telling a story. I loved um, Mephiston's, uh, his, as you put it, his walkabout going through the uh, Rubicon Primaris. I loved his interaction with Racelis. Uh, probably my favorite part, though, is, oh, because I did love when Dante was basically kind of nipping QVO and everything just like yeah i don't trust anything okay sure if he says this but i don't blah 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 it's like well i don't understand that was actually those were actually the only chapters of the book that i really enjoyed and it's because i continually enjoy cuvo as a character um i loved him in the great work and i really liked when he talked with dante because despite the fact that he's and i think we talked about this in uh the great work despite the fact that cuvo is like AI like uh, he's like walking that line between AI and like highly advanced servitor there's an earnestness to him that I liked like when he was talking with Dante and (laughs) this is like becoming Guy Haley's signature move is that these people just are starting to like spill out all of this little lore stuff right when he's like oh yeah like you know there were the thunder warriors and Dante's like I don't even know what a thunder warrior is and he's like yeah anyways (laughs) And, like, when he reveals that he's like, yeah, actually, you know, the Horus Heresy era legionnaires were basically functionally immortal. But you guys really aren't because the gene seed has degraded so much. And I found all of his little lore bits just fascinating. And my favorite scene, because it reminded me of the great work, is when he's getting ready to do the Primaris thing with Mephiston. And everybody's kind of looking at him strange. And he's like... Yes, well, apparently the original version of me was very anxious. And Call has kept that. And it makes me love Call, like, in kind of a creepy way. Right. Because no. his friend his friend was anxious. Right. No, I mean, there was a lot of that stuff. But I just kind of liked it how Dante just wasn't... He wasn't swallowing the pills that Cuvo was trying to give him. He had just these counter things like, well, so he says this, but what about this? He just kept going back mm-hmm. and forth. But probably my favorite part, the whole book, is when Dante tells everybody about the Rubicon Primaris. And he says, I'm not going to ask anybody to go through something that I won't do myself. So basically, like, I volunteer as tribute. And Raceless is like, I don't think so, but I have another idea. (laughs) It's like, not you, but let's just go Fiston out there. (laughs) I did kind of laugh where they were like... And when, like, when Raceless goes to explain to him, too, yeah. he's like, I can either shoot you in the head now or you can die pain horribly painfully at the hands of Kivo. Like, it, yeah. I laughed at that, too. And it was like, let's not sacrifice anybody we care about. <laughs> let's use this guy. But this guy's already a problem. So the best case scenario, he comes out of it. And he's able to control himself. Worst case, we kill him or he dies. Yeah, but okay. He dies on the table. Like, yes, out of our hands. Uh, we'll mention this later, but there's a synchronicity there that I found kind of funny, actually. Um, 
but I did like that scene as well. Like I thought that was that was well played, and it made sense because at first, like the idea of Mephiston going through the Primaris, the Rubicon Primaris was I was kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, because again, plot armor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he he made it work like in a natural way that would explain why they would want to use their most powerful librarian as a guinea pig. It was nice. So yeah, like the only thing, nice. the only part of that that I think you would possibly want the first two books in the Mephiston trilogy to explain that is that that goes into his increasing powers, and that's part of what he's doing in the trilogy right. is just trying to find out what the hell is going on, like what has he mm-hmm. become, type thing. Right, which I picked up on, mm. but I just thought that was it was kind of interesting. Like, so we'll just use our guinea pig here, mm-hmm. like oh. NBD. So, well, let's. After there's... how the um, second Mephiston book started, you probably would have read that first chapter. You would have closed the book and been like, okay, this is some demon warp fuckery. And I don't have time for this. Because even I was like, dude, like, this is not right. And okay, so can I say really quickly why I, I figured out why I don't like Mephiston? Hmm. Figured it out. So I think it comes down to, I'm going to blame Graham McNeil because two things. One, I will admit that I think I have some sort of like oddly misplaced loyalty towards Tigerius. So canonically, Tigerius was always the third most powerful psyker in the Imperium, oh, right? Behind Magnus, behind the Emperor. And in that fifth book, when um, Uriel Ventress goes to meet with him, they talk about just how reserved this guy is and that he's using the war, like he's using his psycho powers to flip through the pages of the codex. But Uriel is like, Oh my God, I've never been around somebody so powerful. And Tigerius kind of gives that speech where he's like, like I of all people know how important it is to follow the rules. And it just made me think of, again, our favorite phrase from Dragon Age magic is dangerous and people are flawed. And I feel as though Tigerius respects that, that the warp is dangerous and people are flawed. Whereas Mephiston is just like, he's like Yosemite Sam in the warp. Like when he's flying around and stuff, I was like, dude, you need to control yourself. This is not okay. Tigerius is judging you. Well, I mean, just saying in the beginning of the, the, the second book, I think it's called Revenant Crusade, um, where Raceless right. has to like, Raceless goes to, he interrupts him, whatever he is doing. I'm not going to describe what it is because it's pretty awful. But he basically has to like call out to Mephiston's spirit because it's not in his body right now. It's be like, you need to stop. You're destroying the ship. Like as in mm-hmm. psychic power is so powerful, it was actually crushing the hull. But Mephiston had no idea because he's off. You know, and then the, right. and then when he gets back to his body, it always takes him a few minutes to figure out who he is, where he is. It's like this is mm-hmm. not okay. This is this is not okay. Yeah, but not a fan. So, I first came across Mephiston and James Swallow's uh, Blood Angels Omnibus. The reason why right. I liked him is because. When Dante gets word about Sanguinius Reborn, he's like, well, I need to go see what this is. And Mephiston's like, no, 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 no. This could be a trap. Let me go. I'll be able to tell immediately. And when Mephiston gets there and sees the Sanguinius Reborn, I'm doing air quotes for the podcast people. Um, he like actually has to put a hand over his mouth because he's trying not to laugh. Right. At that point, I'm like, I like this guy. 
But apparently that Mephiston is does no longer exist. Because then that Mephiston no longer exists. Because they specifically said in here, there was not a, fl- like a, not a speck or not a drop of humor in Mephiston. It was like... Well, Anyways. not only that, but, you know, Dante, when he would talk about how he was very uncomfortable being around him, I was like, well, that mm-hmm. makes me sad. Because they talked about in Jane Swallow's books about how close in friendship the two of them were. Mm-hmm. That was old Mephiston. This is new Mephiston. Well, then why did they reprint so, the books if that's old Mephiston? I, why, does the, why does the Black Library do anything? All right, fair. Like, riddle me that, Batman. Fair. Um, so... <laughs> We are going to talk a whole lot about Mephiston because I feel as though Mephiston is very central to a lot of the stuff that's going on in this book. So let's talk about some of the stuff that happened around around Mephiston. So what do you think of Dante's approach to handling Daniken? Do you agree with it? Was that the right decision? Did, were you interested in his backstory? Well, I was because, again, because I had read, you know, Dante and that and the Dante book really went through you know, his time as a child, as Louis or Luis going all the way up into the ranks when he uh, first became a captain. So I got kind of interested and like, well, then how did he become chapter master? So when I found out this book was actually going to go through that, I was like, okay, that's great. And I thought it was an interesting story to tell Daniken because I think Daniken had the same expectation that I did and that it was going to be this wonderful grandiose story I had this amazing moment where it was like you know sanguinius came down and anointed him you know something like that a lot of sparkles you know something and instead it was he did it because there was nobody else who could be chapter master that is the only reason why he was chapter master because he's because there's nobody else and so Danikin was just kind of like, but it's not the same. I can't do that. And so he's just like, look, you're going to do this because I told you to. And you have to. You will do your duty. You will pull your shit together, man. And you will do this. I actually kind of liked when along those lines, I one of the things I did like, because I was, I was kind of bored in all of those chapters. But the one that I did like is where he starts talking about how he's like, you know, the stories about me aren't all true. And when he's like, yeah. you know, if you really look at some of the stories, I'm in two places at the same time. And I thought that was kind of, I thought that was interesting because ultimately, as much as I love all of the chapter masters, right? I love Shrike. I absolutely love Marnius Calgar. Like as much as we like them, they're still just dudes, like super powerful, great leaders of men, but they're still just dudes. And so I liked the idea that Dante is this strong leader, but he's like, look, I'm not like, I'm not quite the demigod that I've been made out to be. I'm not space Jesus. That was my dad. Um, well, if, I liked that. What I really liked about that, though, is that I thought that was such a great parallel to even reboot. And he talked about it's like, I think it was in the first book when he'd stopped correcting people. Yes. He's like, I'd never said that. Or I wasn't even there. He's just like, whatever. This is what they need to believe. Right. And yeah. He's like, he looked through all the texts about him. He's like, I never said that. I never wrote that. I'd, you know, and he just kind of had to let it go. And I think the same thing with Dante. Like why bother correcting people all the time instead, just kind of let 
they need that for whatever reason they need that kind of legendary they hero need that they need to have that beacon of hope and i think above any other chapter like obviously marnius calgar is revered before pre Robbie Bobby for being the leader of the Ultramarines. But I think because Sanguinius is such an important figure, I mean, I, I make a lot of jokes about him being space Jesus, but he really is kind of that messiah Jesus figure for the Warhammer 40k universe. So of course, of course, his chapter master is going to be extra important. And especially in Imperial Nihilist where things have gone plain shaped, you guys. So the idea that this guy, when he's like, yeah, like, I understand what people say about me, but, like, let's use some logic here. I really liked that. I thought that was really cool. I did well, want to kind of grab bringing, Danikin and shake him. It was kind of bringing him down on Danikin's level, though, because Danikin's like, I'm not that man that they think, you know, I'm actually a coward. And he's like, yeah, well, um, let's look at my history. Yes, I've lived a thousand years. That part is true. <laughs> but... You know, like like you said, like right. a lot of this stuff is, is not true. So what does it matter what people say? And he just really wanted him just to kind of, you know, pull on his big boy panties and put on a brave face and go do his his duty. Because honestly, if it was anybody else, the commissar would have had a bullet in his head by now. Oh, absolutely. And I like I try to think about and again, as much as I love my ultramarines, like I would think about like if Cato Sicarius well, maybe, maybe pre, we got stuck in the warp, Cato Sicarius. Mm -hmm. But like, I think about certainly just like Ragnar Blackmane. Like, just imagine if Ragnar Blackmane showed up there. He's not having a heart to heart with the guy. Cato Sicarius not having a heart to heart with the guy. This is like we're gonna grab you, shake you, and tell you to get out there and do your goddamn job because you're letting down the emperor. Um, Marty, <laughs> the Dark Angels. Marnius Wouldn't would, have even seen him coming. Oh no, Dark Angels would have just killed him outright. Just would have killed him. And honestly, I kind of think as much as I love, as much as I love my Raven Guard, I think they would have killed him too. They'd have just been like, no, the Imperial Fists too probably would have shown up and just be like, you're done. I don't know. But, I think Marnius Calgar actually, he probably would have done the soft touch approach. He would have gone to the, I'm done with this shit. Much quicker than Dante. Much quicker. Yeah, I'm not sure that Marnius Calgar... Like, I think Marnius Calgar probably would have delegated that, though. Then, like, Cato, just get this guy to listen, please. Like, get that guy to do his job. Um, I don't... I found the approach... I don't know. I was torn by it. Because on one hand, I knew... I know that it's definitely trying to humanize Dante. And one of the things I do like about Dante is that they don't have the luxury of being in the regular Imperium, right? So like in Nihilus, resources are limited. Mm -hmm. You don't have like, okay, this Lord Admiral's been removed. Give me another one in here. Like right. it's very, and he has a very, I think he has a much better grip on that than a lot of people do. So I did like that. He's but also, part of me, he's also gone through watching most of his chapter be wiped out by the Tyranids watching all of these successor chapters being completely wiped out by the Tyranids. So I think in his mind, he's just like, I just don't want to lose another person if I don't have to. Because right. like, kind of like what, like what you said, that resources are finite, and that includes people. Yes, to be a man in this time is to be one of untold billions, but when you're cut off from the main empire, you're not 
maybe you're one of untold millions now instead of billions. Right. Right. Or like one of untold like two billions as opposed to like 20 billion on the other side. Right. Like your resources are finite. And I think and obviously and with the Tyranids coming through there, there's even less. Oh, absolutely. And I do see that like Danikin and Dante were very much a parallel, right? Whereas like, whereas Danikin saw this horrible death and was like, I just can't do this anymore. Dante has seen all this horrible death and is like, I need to preserve everything I've got. <laughs> like they reacted to this differently, which is one reason when Danikin's like, I don't understand why you're telling me all of these things. I just wanted to like go and grab him and be like, because he's trying parallels between you. Be happy. Go do your job. It kind of reminded me a lot of in the Dante book, there's this moment <clears throat> where Dante, he's not even a captain. I think he's like a lieutenant or something, but he's um, trying to protect all these people and these chaos Marines are coming in. And it gets to the point where he doesn't remember what happened, mm. but he's alive and everyone's praising him because all the chaos Marines are dead. And he's like, okay, great. But where's all the people? And they're like, well he's like what happened to the people they're like you succumbed to the red thirst and he's just like he is now beside himself that he ended up basically killing all these people and feeding on them so he could have the strength to overturn the chaos marines and he struggled with that he had a very hard time with that like but you had to to live and he's like that's not like he kept thinking that was not that was not a good cost it was too high Right, for, too for, high of a cost. Right, for, for, for what it took. But I know he couldn't tell that story to Danikin. Because, you know, you don't really need to be discussing their flaw that they, mm -hmm. they have to the straits. <laughs> Pretty much. So let me ask you this, though. Like, in light, so we have all of this, right? Then in light with Juvenal's decision, do you think he made the right decision? Like, no. I I think he didn't I, give him a chance. I think I think Danikin was doing the best that he could at that time. And, you know, for someone who goes through that kind of trauma to still be sitting in that chair, still making all the mm -hmm. right decisions the way he is and still having the wherewithal to be like, dude, he tells Juvenile, like, know your place, sir. Like, not in front of right. everybody. Um. I feel like, like, oh, hey, he, he's going to come back. But then Juvenile didn't even give him a chance. And the other problem I kind of had with that is, is that you are directly defying Dante. You just, one does yes. not directly defy the chapter master, or I should say the Lord Regent of the Imperium Nihilus. So I would have agreed with Juvenile had he done it in the beginning. If you like when, when, Danikin was still just drinking every night right. and just hiding out. Basically, if he would have killed him, then I'd have been like, I, I feel you, buddy. Right. Hard decision, but I feel you. But it's, yeah, as soon as Dante gets involved, dude, like if Dante believes in this guy, you've got to give him at least a chance. And I, don't, I really hated that plot point because I was like, so this was all for naught. That's kind um, of what, what I thought. But at least I had. And there's no he shot himself in the heart like nobody's gonna believe that come on right and 
I don't know. And especially is, the only thing that I thought was a little bit poignant about it where he gets back is when Juvenile gets back on the bridge and he's like, all right, weapon batteries armed and ready. Let's get ready. We're going to shoot. We're going to do this. And he has everybody all hyped up. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, shoot. What if what if he's like, what if Dante is down there? Oh, no. And then all of a sudden he realizes that, like, OK, this is a lot harder than I thought it was. And yeah, what if Dante? Oh, crap. And then he gets the message from a fiston. And I was just like reading it. I was like, idiot. Yeah, it always looks so easy from the outside until you realize. Funny how that is. Yeah. Was it, you know, heavy is the head who wears the crown? Mm -hmm. You know, it looks so pretty up on their head and white and anybody can do that. And then suddenly it's your decisions. Like nobody really when on the outside, you're not taking into the consideration of all the terrible decisions that people in charge have to make. Like my biggest comparison to that is this movie U five seven one. Yep. Which I've only seen once. I'll only see once. There's a heartbreaking scene, but he where the horrible scene had to make had to tell this guy to do it, and he had knowing to. that he would die. He had to do it, and the guy went. They went there and did it, sobbing the entire way. But if he hadn't done it, they all would have died. So, and that's always stuck with me. Just those decisions these people, these military commanders have to make. Like, on a moment's notice, it's that to put, like, all these needs over these other things. Yes, you have orders. Right. I actually thought but, of it more like, you know, you have these orders, but let's think about them. You know, just don't. Right. Because otherwise you could just get servers. Well, it was him giving the orders, too. So what it reminded me of was actually, and your opinion, like, anybody's opinion on this movie aside, one of the scenes I really liked in The Dark Knight was with the two boats. Oh, and my God. remember there's the business guy yes. who's like, just blow them up already. Just do it. And the guy gives him the remote and he's like, yeah. And he grabs it to turn it. And then he's just sitting there and he's like. And then he hands it back to him because all of a sudden, when you're not with your finger on the trigger, it's so easy to be like, just do it. But then when you're given the trigger, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, oh, no. And that's and I did like that. Lisa Juvenile was like, what if he is alive? Like, oh, no, that exactly that pressure of command. And so I thought that the decision, if he had made it in the beginning of the book, I would have been like, OK, buddy. But yeah, at the end, it felt like a little too late. It felt a little selfish. And it felt, it kind of, I was like, well, that was all kind of pointless then, wasn't it? Well, not only that, but he's like, we have orders. Yes, you have orders. And yet you're defying an order to follow those yeah. orders. Yeah. Like, how, how, is, how is that making any sense? Although I will have to say it was kind of amusing. Uh, when Danikin's like, I know you're there. And he turns around because he's expecting him to have a gun. He's like, so you have a gun. And my MSEC. <laughs> He's like, I need a drink. He's like, well, murder is difficult. <laughs> Just, I actually loved that entire thing where he was like, yep, it is difficult work. <laughs> and yeah, the whole time when he's just kind of like trying to talk him out of it. And yeah. So, okay, let's get to some of the meat of this, which is really, I mean, there's so much going on in this book. But let's start, let us begin at the beginning. Let's talk about the whole dark angel, light angel thing. And the, I want to talk about the symbolism of it, but also the prophecy that Mephiston is given 
during his Primaris walkabout. Well, I will say that the Dark Angel White Angel thing. So this is the collector's edition. It brings this image to a different light, which this is Dante and this is Mephiston. But at the same time, it's like, oh, could this be the Angel of Blood? Yep. So I liked the idea that there are these two angels who represent the nobility of the blood angels. So really more of like Sanguineus's honor and again, space Jesus. And there's this darkness that resides in them and that they're constantly at war. And I liked the idea that every time one of them succumbs, the dark angel gets a little bit stronger mm-hmm. and that they're constantly in this dead mate. I liked that conceptually. But so what do you think about the prophecy? Basically that look, yeah, your your legion's basically doomed. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but they're doomed. Well, I mean okay. They've been kind of saying that though for a while, you know, uh like some chaos gods are really interested in recruiting the blood angels to their cause for obvious like, reasons. Really interested. Um but uh but okay, so so they're doomed. Okay. When is that gonna happen? It's not gonna happen tomorrow. It's probably gonna happen, mate it could happen, you know, when Gaines Workshop closes. Oh well, there it happens. All done. It could happen in Warhammer fifty K. 60k it could just that's be true on a shelf somewhere you know it, they're doomed doom but you know do we need to sing the doom song we do need to sing the doom song <laughs> i uh, i don't know how i felt about it and i really didn't know how i felt about mephiston that he's now the dark <laughs> angel that he's now the dark angel. It, it makes sense. Until he burns out, basically. And it really reminded me, and again, because I know everybody here, I think, knows my opinion on the fact that there's only one Matrix movie. But in the second Matrix movie, when they're kind of describing the whole point of Neo and the one, right? And they're basically like, yep. This happens every once in a while and you run your course and then we just reset and then eventually another one comes up and this just keeps kind of happening. Like it made it, that's triggered. Uh, it triggered, triggered me uh, with this idea that, okay, so you're going to hold the dark angel in you and, um, you know, until you turn into a monster and they kill you and then we'll just have to find somebody else to hold the dark angel in them. But will they be able to? <laughs> I don't know. I, but I also have, you know, curious about what all that means. So he's now that black angel. Does that mean they don't get the black rage That's anymore? What I was is the rage now cured because he is the only one who has survived the rage and no longer has it. I mean, because they which they, they talk about you know the Martes that he survived it, but yet he still has it. And he just has these right. moments where he's able to be lucid. He's actually able to come back and forth a little more mm-hmm. easily. But he's still suffering from the black rage. You still don't go let him just go hang out in the streets. Right. But 
so one of the things I thought was very interesting, and again, this came from Cuvo, which is where he's like, yeah, we thought that we fixed the Black Rage. And Dante's like, you didn't. And he's like, yeah, we think it's more of a spiritual affliction. So I did like that kind of synchronicity of then Guy Haley basically saying like, yes, this is a full-blown, full-bledged spiritual affliction. And now we have it contained. So that's kind of maybe the implication of that. Now, I can't imagine because the Black Rage is just such a good dramatic tool for the Blood Angels. I can't imagine them ever abandoning that. Right. Would be very interesting. So like, or maybe it's like a proximity thing, like a, like a blunter, right? So if he goes around and hangs around with Lamart and the rest of those dudes, does the Black Rage just dissipate from them? Like, is this how you get these guys back? I don't know. I think it's left open a lot of questions. So I'm... It's interesting, though. And now I'm really interested in reading the third book in the Mephiston trilogy, City of Lights, because I was told that that comes after this book. Because I guess apparently they reference a lot of things in here, like, oh, I don't know that he's now a Primaris, which probably would have been like, if I'd start City of Lights. She'd be like, when did that happen? Yeah, so... So I'm interested if they delve into that at all in City of Light. What what really is coming in that? But like you said, I can't. The Black Rage is like so central to the Blood I mean, Angels. It's canonical. Like that is one of like the defining and, attributes. And to me, that's just one thing I, I almost kind of like. As sad as that is, I just think it's like so incredible that you know what Horace did to Sanguinius was so awful. It's imprinted on the gene seed on them like that's just it i actually and you know that i do not like the melodrama of the black the blood angels and that's one of the reasons that i don't like them is i really do hate that type of melodramatic melodramatic tragedy but i love that concept right i love the concept that as you said what happened was so awful so awful it's permanently messed up your line Mm -hmm. Ten thousand years later you guys are jacked up from this. And I did kind of like when Dante describes when he kind of starts like teetering into the black rage, when all of a sudden he's in another, another battlefield on another ship storming towards a brother. I was like, Oh geez. And that's I, one of those scenes actually, that every got, time I see it, I got nervous. I was like, Oh my God, is this it for Dante? Is this how he goes? That's awful. No, cause plot armor. We need mm. Dante. He's too fabulous. Um, but I did like that concept. But yeah, it's really up to you. Because here's the thing about it. If he is now like the Black Rage Blunter, that's very interesting. And I will really like that concept. But if it turns out that no, he's not. I'm going to be very disappointed. Maybe that's what City Light's about where he finds out what the Black Angel actually is. That could be true. Yeah. So, who do you think Mephiston saw in his walkabout? Was that really Sanguinius? At this point, why not? Why not? And the reason why I say that is because it was obviously a test. And then Sangu- and then when this angel... Very of, much so. This angel of blood, when he like, you know, sheds the blood and becomes this huge, magnificent angel, and he's like, oh my god, I didn't know it was you. He's like, well, I'm not Sanguinius. Sanguinius is dead. I totally see this thing Sanguinius would say. Like, don't keep looking for me in the warp like i am dead you all have to go forward on your own like stop you know just i am dead 
you can't look for me anymore. I, you can't worship me. Just move on. And I, and I totally see the thing Sanguinius would say, because that's kind of what he would do with his chapter in the Horus Heresy. He would tell them that they would need to forge ahead and be on their own, that they couldn't always lean on him. He's like, you know, I will always love you. You are my sons, but you have to do things on your own. Well, and they kind of, they've dealt with that where he knows he's going to die at the Siege of Terra. He knows. And he's like, got to do what I got to do. And so part of me was thinking, and this is one of the things that I was like, well, that's very interesting. If his rage and his just sense of injustice and hatred and betrayal of what Horus did can be carried down through the gene seed. Is it possible that that nobility, that that sense of sacrifice that I know I'm going to die and I just got to do what I got to do. Like, is it possible that that somehow is carried along and has lived somehow, somehow that maybe it's not sanguineous, mm-hmm. but it is that aspect of him and that emotion, that emotion of we need to do what's best for our brothers and we need to take care of our brothers like the holy spirit absolutely Uh, but that was something that was really delved into in james swallow's books so whether that's been retconned or not that's something that they really really went into is that even though our brothers are part of the black rage we do this as soon as we see that happen it's they do a ceremony for them they do what's best for them. They really try to do what is absolutely best for them at, at all mm-hmm. times. And there is, and when they see someone about to dive into, to come to the Black Rage, they practically stop whatever they are doing to save, save them from succumbing, whether it means that they end up falling in front of a bullet or, or whatever. So I think there is... There is also a lot of that because none of them want their brothers to go through the Black Rage and they will do anything to stop it if they they believe that they can. And they're very they're very revered. They they're almost like the opposite of the Dark Angels with the Fallen. Whereas that's our dirty little secret that we never talk about and we're super ashamed of them and we don't like we like not even everybody knows about them. The right. The brothers who have fallen to the Black Rage, they're not like, they don't advertise them and broadcast it, but they all know about it. And they do all know this is a thing. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they are they have this sort of like, this reverence for them, that this is something that's awful and terrible. And I think part of it is because, as you said, this could happen to any one of us. Right. So, you know, it's not just like, oh, yeah, our brother fell and pff, dumbass. No, it's that happened the only, and it could have been me. I think the only one that they that they've ever said was an idiot for falling to the black rage and that is in David Annandale's Mephiston book. And I don't remember his name, but basically he knew Calisterius. He knew Calisterius had fallen to the black rage and he cannot handle Mephiston. And when Mephiston actually like and he actually was looking for, you know, one of their sacred relics and it had been corrupted, but he couldn't see it as always. Was it a chalice? It was not a chalice, actually. It was something else. But Mephiston was able to see what it was. This guy was accusing him of, you know, actually being, you know, a demon spawn and 
color revenant and everything but when it turned out Mephiston was right he couldn't handle it to the point he's like I'm just going to let myself succumb and just did it right there and another one Mephiston's like what a waste and that's probably the only one right. I've ever seen and that's true just because you know I just can't handle this reality in front of me that I could have possibly been wrong I'm just going to succumb to the black rage oh okay boy you go right on ahead calm down son um <laughs> So I actually kind of worried about that in the beginning. Do you remember when those two guys were going through the ship and the one guy is like, I'm going to, there's a life sign up here. I'm going to go follow that. And his commander is like, no, don't get back here. And then he gets up there and he's like, oh, gene stealers. Hmm. Um, because it is always gene stealers. Um, I was actually a little worried that right there, I was like, if this guy... Fellas to the Black Rage to deal with these gene stealers. That guy's a dumbass. But he didn't. And uh, actually, when that whole thing was happening, I was like, what is the point of this? And then they looped it in the end. I was like, oh, okay. It all makes sense. And it actually, all makes sense now. And actually, that guy who, um, Teus, mm -hmm. there's a short story about him in the back of the collector's edition. Oh, that's cool. Mm hmm nice no i liked the character i was just like bruh yeah I, I liked him a lot i thought it was so funny when he's um because you know he is one of the primaris and his uh the guy in charge of him is also a primaris but he's been a primaris longer knows how to how's things run and all the time he's just like he's always perking orders at me and he's not even from ball <laughs> like i'm from ball i know how this works like, yeah, that's right. true. You would fit better into the culture than he would. Because he made it sound like he was one of the vat-grown. Oh, okay. I, I did like, though, that originally there was kind of... And it might be because of the Black Rage revelation. Like, originally there was kind of this... Uh, those are not blood angels. Those are ultramarines wearing blood angel armor. And Gabriel Seth was like, without, without the flaw... Like, these guys aren't even us. But in this book, it felt like they were more just like, okay, you know, there's these Primaris guys over there. Like, they just, they felt more like, still kind of outsiders, but accepted outsiders. Mm -hmm. I, I liked that. I thought that was a nice progression, because I think we've talked about before, one of the things that's getting a little tiresome to me is the whole OG versus Primaris Marines thing. I totally understand it would be a thing. Totally oh, yeah. understand. But I am getting a little tired of that as a plot point. So well, I really did like that they were just kind of like, yeah, 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 primaries. Well, I mean, Take it to Black Rage, who knew? I mean, kind of like the Brothers of the Scythe, you know, they're like, these are going to save our chapter because we've lost so many in yes. the recent devastation. Um, so I think you got some of that. But also, I think the Rubicon is going to help a lot of chapters deal with, um, deal with the Primaris for those who choose to go through yes. it and are able to go through it i did like well what's the success rate about oh, 60 less for your chapter <laughs> i was like oh good odds well uh, i mean funny. but this was the first one where we actually got to see what they do in this because in the spear of the emperor right they didn't you know we knew that was something awful like she was talking about she could hear his bones growing she heard the snapping and his bones growing. 
But this was like the first one you see that they literally dissect the person. Like talk about they're moving the skin and putting it in a vat. I'm like, I really don't need this imagery right now. They had described it in the year. And so I know that this book came out first, but we read the Uriel Ventral story first. And they had described it in that. I much preferred Uriel's walkabout. But I liked, like, they described it. And I was like, this sounds horrible. And it helped. I think it helped because you're right. With Honorata, Honorata wasn't allowed to be in there because she was a human. And then uh, Amadeus had been rocked a little too hard. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for saying that. <laughs> sorry i'm sorry but he was he was basically out for the procedure so we have no idea what was going on internally for him we just knew and by the way you guys that is a scene that is like still haunts me every now and then i'll think about it and just be like <laughs> when she talked about how it sounded like wood creaking oh yeah it was the bones and it, it was just bones that haunts my dreams i don't mind telling you that um but like it sounds so awful and with Mephiston they really kind of leaned into it I think because he's so gory as is but well I mean to be fair the beginning of the second Mephiston book started very similarly with his skin not on him that? and it was just kind of hanging out in the air you know whatever you know he's just sitting on the throne just like he's wearing his flayed man armor, but it's not wearing his armor. That's actually what it is. So I was like, well, he's kind of used to his skin just kind of peeling off and then coming back on. No big deal. It's Tuesday. Like that scene in Hellraiser. I never saw she Hellraiser. comes to the bed. Never saw it. If you've seen Hellraiser, you're probably going, ugh. <laughs> that scene. Yeah, this, this person comes to the bed to re be reborn and they're like, oh skin yeah. kind of like an event horizon anyways um yeah i that's the one thing i will say is that i did not like his walkabout but i do find the primaris process fascinating and they do at least it's not just like a pill or a shot that you take and hey you get a 60 percent chance of your survival i mean this is hardcore surgery mm -hmm. and it's not even just like they have to like break open the chest to put in the belisarian furnace it sits between the hearts um i mean they have to do a lot like when they talk about like you could see his brain yeah oh that part i had a it's a hard very hard procedure. time with when they talked about you know basically they cut off that whole part of the skull mm -hmm. yeah i mean you'd think with the blood yeah. in those books that i read that i'm used to you know gory stuff and vitae everywhere but i'm really not i'm really not you know what um, there was not a lot of Vitae in this book. Not as much as in Devastation of Ball. Like, there was some Vitae in this, but there wasn't nearly as much. And I was, because I was looking for it. I got my dose when they woke up Dante early. Yes. Yes, I would agree with that. But, like, later in the book, like, it only gets mentioned, like, five or six times, which, like, I think because I don't know. I think because Guy knew he was going to treat us to this surgery, and that was, like... All that could be can handle. So I that actually liked Mephiston's walkabout, and I think I could see that if you liked the character, you yeah, would. Because I really liked him facing off with Calisterius in the mirror. That is what yeah. really, really grabbed me. That and it had never-ending story vibes. Yeah, exactly. And also him talking to not his father, 
but a man who has had some hand in raising him. It was very, because that's actually the closest we've ever gotten to Mephiston's past. Like, right. Calisterius or not, like really mm-hmm, way mm-hmm. before all that. So that, to me, was very interesting. And I loved Mephiston just kind of comparing and contrasting, you know, looking in the mirror and seeing both himself and then Calisterius and seeing the right. differences, the slight mm-hmm. differences, how they're the same mm-hmm. face, but not. Right. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, I, I I got strong never-ending story vibes with that one. Mm. In, which I loved that movie as a kid. So, like, oh, yeah. I liked that concept. I liked it conceptually, but I think because I don't... And I, I told my husband this, too, that... Like, I even said to him, I was like, I bet you Carrie loved this scene. Because you have a connection with Mephisto, which I didn't. And, like, the death of Uriel Ventress. Well, we both have a very strong connection with Uriel. Right. That, that yeah. one hit me so hard in the feels. But I could see that if you didn't have a connection with Uriel Ventress or if you didn't really care that much... First off, what's wrong with you? But second off, like, you probably read that story and were like, okay. Right. You know what I mean? And so, like, that's, I, I felt bad because he's having this spiritual moment. And for me, I was just like, meh. But again, I was like, I bet you Carrie loved this. And so I did. Where, where does he go from here, though? Well, he I'll is now- tell you after I read the next book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, okay, so you're now a Primaris library. You're the first Primaris, um, or OG-turned-Primaris Blood Angel. You're, like, the first librarian of them. And, oh, BT-dubs, you're now the prison, not the prisoner, but the prison for this malevolent force. And all of your friends are eventually going to turn from you and hate you, and they're not going to know why. Again, very reminiscent of a blunter. I actually had that very strong vibes, like, oh, just kind of like the pariahs. Or so the- he's he's a pariah of the Blood Angels, mm-hmm. pretty much. So where does he go from here? He goes into the sarcophagus. Well, of course, out. because they always go into sarcophagi. <laughs> this is what they do. It's just kind of their thing. I, you know, I, I don't know. It kind of makes me sad that they've decided to really kind of really push the... Uh, being a hermit route, especially because of the friendship and deep relationship he and Racelis have. So I'll be really sad mm-hmm. if Racelis can't even stand to be around him anymore. Because Racelis is his biggest advocate, biggest supporter. Right. Yes, he volunteered him as tribute, but he's still a It was out of love. He's always been there for Calisterius, and he's always promised him that if anything went bad, he would be the one. And now Dante has said, I will also, you know, between him and Raceless will be taken care of. I think Dante's like, I'd rather do it than let Astaroth do it, because Astaroth wants to do it, like, yesterday. But that was, so that was kind of interesting. <laughs> I was like, there's so many emotions when he wakes up, because Astaroth is like, kill him now. Kill him dead. Done. Gone. <laughs> Raceless was kind of like, nah, I don't. I don't know. It seems like him. Like he was on the fence, and Dante, of course, is like, "It's fine. We got this." Like, so many emotions. <laughs> um, so, but given those reactions right there, right, right then and there, where does he go? What is his purpose? 
other than he's holding this black angel in himself, what will his purpose be and his place be in the chapter with all these emotions and this prophecy? And It's very strange because as the chief librarian, it's partly his job to help train other librarians. And obviously he can't do that now. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to have to go to Racialist to handle all that since he's the um, epistolary, I think his, his title is. Mm-hmm. But it'll have to go to him. But it's kind of sad in a way because yes, he's been Mephiston, the Lord of Death. No one wants to be around him as it is. So it's just kind of like we've just really kind of leaned into that and made it really that's what he is. What he is now. He's almost he's almost the angel of death in many, many ways. Cause he even talks well, about it at the end, he's like, I have the power to end it all right now, but I won't. When he killed the patriarch <laughs> and he stopped that message from getting out. Okay, as much as I hate the Tyranids, I that was a scene where I was like, go you. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it is always Tyranids. Um, in Gene Steelers, I feel like at the I feel like the editing process at the Black Library now is like this is a great novel. We like the direction, but there's no Gene Steelers in it. Well, but they, they got to have somebody take those Levi's. But they were still in the sector. Yes. This one has an excuse for it, but like, I'm just, I know. I'm over the gene stealers, guys. I'm so over them. In fact, in that beginning chapter, when, uh, when the guy, when there's like, when they say that the gene stealers pop up, my first reaction was, ugh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we even had gene stealers in the last book. It was very minimal, but we still had him in there. As I said, this is a great book. Love the direction. Could you put Gene Steelers in? They're so hot right Although, now in Imperium Nihilus. <laughs> They're so hot right now. Pretty much. Um. So, again, though, like, is his, chap- is his purpose in the chapter now just to become this hermit? And know that I hold the black rage in and or I hold this black angel in and that's pretty much it. Like I'm making the ultimate sacrifice. Um, can somebody like that just exit stage left? Well, so one of the things that he's trying to do in his trilogy is to try to understand why he was able to survive the black rage. So that maybe he right. could teach it to others. Although I don't think everyone wants to be like him in the end. But still, they just kind of, you know, want that. But so I, I don't know if he's going to continue doing that. Because he's even said when he uh, woke up, he's like, I'm Mephiston, but I'm not Mephiston. I was like, oh, great. We're going to have another name change. Like, just need more I names. actually thought the same thing. Gonna, I was like, not another name. Are we going to click names like the custodies now? I mean, come on. But, uh, so I don't, I don't know. So I'm really, like I said, I'm really interested in City of Light. I will be sure to let you know. So it's like, what resolves from that? Of course, knowing, knowing Games Workshop, maybe it doesn't mean anything, you know? So let's talk about one of the most, the more interesting things in here. At this point, I think most of the chapter masters have been confirmed to have gone through the Rubicon Primaris. It's interesting to me uh, that in this book... Azriel has not. Does that surprise anybody? 
I actually asking for a friend. I was actually was surprised that two captains have gone through the Rubicon of the Dark Angels. Right, but Azrael, that doesn't surprise me as much because he has like just way too many secrets, y'all. Um, but like, given the number of people who are going through it, I was really surprised that they didn't put Dante through it. So, and at the end of it, Dante's kind of like, I think I should definitely do the thing because I don't know if you guys knew this, but he's kind of old. Um, but Mephiston is like, you shouldn't. Don't do the thing. So will he? Will he or won't he? I'm kind of leaning on Dante's side of it that he should, because what does he have to lose? Because he even talks about, he's like, I'm so tired. And I don't want yeah. to feed on people anymore to not be so tired. Like, my my wounds aren't healing. Like, you know, obviously we're not supposed to live this long because seriously, like, what is the retirement plan of a space marine? It's until death. And somehow he has death. not only, I mean, we don't know how old he is. We just know he's been chapter master for a thousand years. So. Right. You could, we could probably Yeah, he on. could have been. Absolutely. He could Couple be, hundred. Oh, he could be 1,500 years old as far as we know. Right. Um, so, I'm like, yes, they're supposed to be immortal, but they had no plans. They had no idea they, they would live this long. <laughs> well, the Horus Heresy guys were functionally immortal. These guys really aren't supposed to be. And I wonder, I actually wondered if, like, at the end there when he talks about, like, how he's like, I have to feed on so many people now. I was like, I don't, I wonder if Reboot would have been so keen to give you Regency if he knew what was going on behind the curtain. Like, he sees you wearing the mask and he's like, God, you remind me of my brother. And we already know that Reboot, along with most of the Primarchs, just revered Sanguinius and just loved him. So I wonder if part of it was like, God, you remind me so much of my brother. You've got this. You seem like a decent dude. Like, I wonder if Dante would have said, so here's, like, let me explain to you how I'm walking around. Like, I wonder if Reboot, and I don't know, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if Reboot would have been, like, gross, but do what you gotta do. So, or if it would have been, like, <laughs> So the first time, so Dante actually had abstained for a long time, and it wasn't Very until, long time. It wasn't until the end of the Dante book when his right. serve, his equerry, like, sacrificed himself and was like, please. And then it's almost like kind of spurned something else that he's now he has to so at the time like he wouldn't have told Rebooks. he's like well it's just that that one time <laughs> this had one relapse just one drink just one drink man <laughs> i'm fine right um still though like i'm not sure but like I, even if he, don't know. if he had worded it as a relapse even like wait you know i because i need to find relapse i don't know if Rebooks. <laughs> knew about the flaw because there's this one short story where sanguinius talked about how he never understood why his sons have this issue with this thirst that they've always been trying to figure it out so i don't know if it was well known amongst anybody else about it so i don't, I don't think so i, don't I mean think, i don't think so at all i don't think reboot there's any way he would have known it but another reason Well, because why... they were, they all kind of kept those flaws close to their chest. All of them did. Right. Right? Like, the Wolfen weren't really well known. Um, and they all got secrets, except, really except for Robbie Bobby. And the and Imperial Vulcan. Fists. They don't got any secrets. 
Do the Iron Hands have secrets? Except that he does kill Alpharius, which is actually one of the, like the funniest scenes, and I can't remember which Siege of Terra book it is, when they're all talking about like how could one of the like how could a because they're talking about Fulgrim, and they're like, can you even believe that one of you would kill their brothers? And then Malkador just looks at Rogaldor and he's like, anyway, nice weather we're having today. <laughs> like it's straight up this like. But the good news is he probably didn't really kill Alpharius anyways. That was one of, actually that whole thing like between, you know, who killed Alpharius if anybody did? Was it Dorne? Was it Reboot? You know, kinda reminds me of scene and clue. Professor Plum is like, wait, if that was the butler, then who did I kill? He's like, if you're Mr. Body, then who did I kill? It's like, my butler. Butler. Oh nuts. <laughs> Just I love that scene. Oh, that kind of reminds me of that whole thing. I mean, that's what I could totally see with Alfari. So who did I kill? My butler. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I actually, yeah, I love that movie in general. Yeah. But that especially. Um, I don't know. Like, does he, does he need to become Primaris? Does that stop this? I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I think he should be Primaris. Like, does that, though, is that his final form? Like, is that going to be the thing that basically makes him diet sanguineous? Like, he's not, I, sorry. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, is yeah. this the well, thing especially that. Everybody, so many people believe, like, in his own chapter that he is sanguineous reborn. What if. Mephiston well, went through the Primaris and he gets to host the Dark Angel in him, which is like all their darkness and their rage and the flaw. But then Dante goes through the Primaris and he ends up hosting that golden vision of like, I am the purity and like the, the goodness with Sanguinius. And that, that's what happens. And that's how he becomes Diet Sanguinius. But I thought that the golden angel is actually the Sanguinor. It is. But you know what I like? Which, sorry, I didn't mean the is. golden English. I didn't. We're not going to go into that. So, <laughs> but <laughs> that's the thing. Anyways, um, but what if it is like that concept right. of like the vision that Mephiston had, the Sanguinor, like what if that, that'd be kind of cool, actually. But well, so if that's the case, I think they would need to wait. I kind of <laughs> like that, actually, especially when they talk about, like that. They emphasize like many times, like, you know, how Dante has met with the Sanguinor more than any other blood angel, which I think is one reason why they believe yep. he's Sanguinius Reborn. I mean, yes, I, very I, much so. I can't believe the Sanguinor is something to do with Sanguinius, like he's some essence or something. It's the only thing to mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, much as I can make sense of the blood of the blood angels. Because <laughs> <laughs> you looked at the flow chart. <laughs> okay, they're not as crazy yeah. as dark angels, but it's not too far from it. The they don't have as many secrets. They're just kind of their culture is interesting. I'll put it that way. But I would. Kind it of, is I would, actually. I would kind of like that. But so that Dante's the light, Mephiston's the dark, and you have to have them both together. To keep, right. Well, to keep that brotherhood whole. To keep that balance, and then they just go to the opposite sides of the universe, which just you know, like Macbeth and and Demona, <laughs> gargoyles references. Um, yeah, I would like that if the Sanguinor, like, possessed him. 
I'd be here for that. <laughs> that would Just make, say you, you would actually read another Blood Angels book for that? I'm gonna have to. Y'all, actually, speaking of that, I'm gonna have to, even though they're Blood Angels adjacent, because our next book <laughs> is The Reverie uh, by Peter Bahavari, which... Oh, God, you guys, I'm going to show how old I am because the, the text on here is so... It's the it's... angels resplendent. Okay, so the text on the back is terrible because it's super tiny and it's that light yellow. It is. Oh, no, it's actually more of a darker yellow. Like on the... Yeah. Like... Yeah, you can see. Like, it's... You can barely... Yeah. Uh, no, it's okay. I'm also just old. Like, I turned 40 and my daughter will be like, Mom, you need to look at this. And she'll put stuff in my face and I'm like, Whoa. Yeah, I'm actually Pull now just like turn an angle. <laughs> At least I'm not. Yeah. Like, I haven't got to her like my dad was before he he wore glasses where he's just. Oh, I'm like like I'm, I'm like holding it here, but I'm getting to where I'm gonna be like I'm gonna be that asshole with my arm out there. But anyways, so we are giving Peter Fahavari another chance. Also, red pages, last chance. Let's be real. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But we are going to read, this is actually going to be our second Warhammer horror novel, also by Peter Verhoeven. I hope this doesn't burn you on the horror line. Anyways, uh, The Angels Resplendent, though. Is so, more Blood Angels. Or is this the and, other guys? And depending on how soon the uh, the next book comes out, we might get more Blood Angels. Anyways... Guys, please save me. Black Library, please. Please save me from the Blood Angels. You don't have to read Astaroth. I can read that on my own. I low-key feel like I kind of do, though, because I have, like, a whole other conversation. <laughs> also, I'm a glutton for punishment. But, so, definitely join us for the reverie. Should be fun. See if we like Peter Fahavari on the second try. Um, I really... This is like such a vapid commentary, but the cover art is gorgeous. Really gorgeous. Definitely within my idiom. Yeah, I'm not into the skulls. Everything else is pretty, though. I really am. And I, I yeah, I really dig the cover art. So it's really weird to say I'm not into skulls. And yet I read Warhammer 40K. So which is of... like the skulling. <laughs> it's kind of. That's kind of within their idiom. Actually, that is their idiom. It's a whole idiom. Skulls, skulls are cool. Skulls are like, cool. Somebody was like, you know what's awesome? Skulls <laughs> and angels. The skull really? angels. It really is just like the heavy metal universe on paper. <laughs> We've got Vikings. We've got vampires. we got Mongols on motorcycles. And I say that lovingly, obviously, very lovingly. But I mean, like the Mall and Blues Brothers, this place has got everything. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Want to take us out, Carrie? I sure will. So thank you all so much. You listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Darkness in the Blood by Guy Haley. Be sure to join us for our next book, The Reverie by Peter Fehavari. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. 
Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash the BH40K book club. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40K books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crack. And vote for Dante. He's the hero we need. Get you some burgundy. That's not burgundy, woman. Get you some fire hydrant red. There you go. Much better. I love the color. I love colored stuff, so. Good night. Good night. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve. <laughs>